0: Time magazine calls Joey Zwillinger's new company, Allbirds, the most comfortable shoe ever. And he sits down with us. So, Mr. Zwillinger. Yep. Yep. We were just laughing schlarb zwillinger schlarb zwillinger yeah it could be like an accounting firm <laughs> this could be really good a german accounting firm that sounds yeah. good all right good uh but it's great to sit down with you thanks for coming thanks uh, for having me yeah we're just talking about like the different threads that we're interested in talking about on the podcast and it's it's travel fashion wine food design and you were saying you're closer
1: to what Uh, Well, I would say further from fashion and closer to all the other subjects that you guys love to talk about and touch on here, um, I think um, it's interesting. The company's called Allbirds, first of all. Uh, We currently only sell one style of shoe, and you would normally think shoe, okay, probably is a fashion startup, but actually I think the people who have adopted us have been people who love to travel. Uh, people who have to stand on their feet for long periods of time and like to be comfortable during that time while also looking good. Uh, And while you might call that fashion, we also consider the shoe that we make right now, we call it the wool runner. I can tell you much more about that if you're interested. Uh, But it is a sneaker, and it takes a sneaker silhouette. And so I think sneaker has had a long uh, troubled history coming in and out of fashion. And Mm -hmm. unless you price it at $900, you're not considered a fashion object in the sneaker category. Uh-huh. So in some ways we're fashion and some ways we're, uh, we're the best shoe to get you around the world. Yeah. And if you like to stand on your feet and you have two feet or even one foot, then you can very comfortably exist inside of a wool runner from all I was dialing in on the website, like checking out uh, the
0: women's, the men's, the different colors and how many different versions of a shoe do you plan to do? I mean, you're just, you're, you're blowing up now. So what are you planning on doing?
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. So we're planning to do a lot. However, um, with restraint. Mm -hmm. So the way we do color is really important for us. So if you look at the design of our shoe, it is simplified design, or you might want to call it minimalist design to a fairly extreme degree for a sneaker. Mm -hmm. So we've stripped off every unnecessary stitch every unnecessary logo swoosh stripe whatever you want to do on a sneaker and we've taken that off and we have created this really beautiful fabric that has is very tonal it has a lot of depth to it and it brings out a lot of the story just from the fabric alone so we in order to tell that story really effectively color is so so important to us so we actually look to color inspiration from the birds of New Zealand, which is a vibrant flock. Oh, this uh, is this is
0: great. I'm I'm going to be asking um, you know, so quickly where the
1: name came from. Yeah. So this so is giving me okay. kind of like
0: an elusive. Uh, and an and elusive. by the way,
1: this is kind of secondary. It's I mean, it's funny. So we started we, we were we're making wool shoes, so oh, yeah. you could be like woolies. But what we decided to do is use only fibers from New Zealand New, new zealand merino sheep which is a particular uh, breed of sheep and they're all certified by a group called zq merino which makes sure the animals are treated really well um, the environment is treated really well um but in new zealand where my co-founder is from mm-hmm. when man first settled there and it wasn't even that long ago because it's such a random isolated far off island there was all birds no mammals Mm-hmm. And so we love that little nod back to the heritage of the company mm-hmm. as well as a time when there was this really natural existence not so long ago before uh, humans came by to fuck things up. And yeah, they did bring a lot of sheep too. So we use that. But. Yeah.
0: So there really were no animals,
1: no... The only... The, there's tons of fish, tons yes. of fish and tons of birds. And there there is a nuanced exception... Which is that there were bats which are which are mammals. Technically mammals. Yes. However. Fly, <laughs> if you're gonna like if birds. you're gonna call that an exception, it's pretty damn close to a bird. So we it, it was all birds. Yes. Yeah.
0: And you also are a birder of of some kind?
1: That is true. That is true. I am a birder <laughs> Is that
0: the right way to say it? That is, yes. I'm, not, I'm definitely not
1: an ornithologist. I am a birder oh. as a hobby. And I have lots of I'm like kind of, you know, you're if you think of that crazy old lady with a bunch of bird feeders, like maybe you would consider me. That's your lawn. It's sort you of your backyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, how many can you identify if you had to go out and uh, uh, just uh, dial in those by an ox?
1: Oh, man, that's a, that's a good question. I have no idea. Probably, you- probably, a good, uh, probably a good 75. I don't want to give myself too much credit.
0: That's a lot of birds.
1: It's actually do, really impressive. I can do. I can do. I estimate fifteen by call, uh huh, which is much harder. And I'd, Where love, do you I'd love to get that numbered up. Uh, I live in Marin, so I can do a ton of stuff right around there. Mm-hmm. Santa Rosa's got some really good spots, and I do it on trips all the time. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, as we were talking about before we started the show, half my family South African. Yeah. And I fell in love with birds when I went on safari for my first time in 2004. And when I went back again, I re-fell in love uh, with a passion. And I decided I would never give up on them. That's cool. Those cute little birds. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I got pretty into it. And then, and, so
0: tying that back yeah. to New Zealand and all the different colors that are in the shoes. Yeah, sure. How so many that, different colors are the shoes coming in?
1: So we, we I think we cycled through about a dozen colors now. Uh, We started out with a slate of four colors per gender. um, And we do have a core color group that is kind of the gray, black, white that people will always be able to access. White, not currently. However, we will introduce that, uh, reintroduce that again. Um, And then we cycle through kind of limited edition colors based on these inspirations from birds like the Kia bird, which is endangered. Uh, A bird like, um, we have a sneak preview for you here, but the next one will be a Qatari bird. Uh, And these things have these incredible primary feathers that when they flap out their wings and light hits it in a certain way, they have all these luminescent, beautiful colors on the feathers that you don't see when they're just sitting on a wire or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great source of inspiration. And these birds are, are unique to New Zealand? Yeah, they are so yes, I mean, when you have this random island way off of from anywhere else, it's about 1,300 miles off the east coast of Australia. So that's the closest landmass. And it is, you, you, like they can't, most birds can't fly too far beyond that. And, of course, many can, mm-hmm. and migratory patterns will take them there. But a lot of birds are just stuck there. The kiwi bird, which I like, is this bird that can't fly, and it basically sitting there, and any predator could eat it. So I really don't know how it survived all this long. No other animals. But the kiwi has, yeah, exactly, no (laughs) no mammals. Uh, But that's, uh, yes, that's their national bird, but they have a lot of unique birds there. And and these tui birds that we've named after, kia birds and the kataria, are pretty unique.
0: Uh, You have this green color on the site. That must be the kiwi color. Tui. Too green, uh, And you also have the, the charcoal one with the black soles, which I dig
1: because my shoes are always, the white soles are always getting whacked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we found a passionate group of people that were pro black souls and mm-hmm. some that were pro white souls and mm-hmm. would not be, you do not find people in between. And I'm not making any um, racially oriented statements. When I say this, it's simply uh, S O L E preference. Yes. Not S O U L. Okay,
0: so Soul and Soul. So I also read you're doing uh, Souls, S O L E S. Yes. For Souls, S O U L S. Correct. Correct. So is this in some way uh, the trend of some other uh, fashionable products, Tom's
1: being one of them, but also other companies are doing this? Uh, So I would say the answer to that question is yes and no. We, By the way, it's
0: so cool. I mean, I think, thank you. No, like that's yeah,
1: fantastic. Maybe I'll just give you a little background on it. So, yeah. Souls for Soul is a great organization. They take um, shoes that other people don't want, and they seed them with entrepreneurs in developing regions or places of significant need. Even in like hurricane happening down in the mm-hmm. south now where people are misplaced and need shoes, but also in places like Haiti where access to shoes allows you access to schools and access to other things that you might otherwise be prevented to go to. So they see them with entrepreneurs in these region who then go out and either distribute or sell the shoes to people in those areas. And Mm -hmm. selling is a really powerful economic development tool, and when you buy something, you associate it with value, so those people actually value and use the shoes more that, who pay mm-hmm. for them. So, it's a wonderful organization that distributes, you know, millions of How shoes How old a year. are they? They've been around for, for quite a while. It's a pretty big organization now. Um, so, more than a decade? Or more than is... a decade, for sure. I don't In know a, the answer exactly, though. Um, are they taking, like, off runs, or, like, uh, extra runs, or maybe not quite the quality you would want to? So, uh, a bunch of is things. A bunch of things. So... The way we have looked at, I mean, tons of new companies that start up direct to consumer in particular, they'll do like a one percent for charity or a one, you know, something like that. There's been the give one, uh, buy one, give one trend that Tom's and Warby Parker have mm-hmm. started. Yes, uh, but I think the way we looked at it was that our big focus and our big, our big focus and how we think we can change the world and why we want to be, why we think you should buy our shoes instead of somebody else's and why we think if you do that, you'll make the world a little little bit better place isn't from charitable giving from our profit as like a, as like a result of us being successful. What we want to do is actually quite literally weave the, or knit the Mm -hmm. environmental sustainability into our shoes. So we chose New Zealand Merino instead of something that another company might use like leather or a, for example, polyester. Into a shoe. So our sustainability, when we choose merino over polyester is something like a 60% reduction in the carbon footprint. So our real impact is in the raw material sourcing, which is generally going to be the lion's share of your of your products footprint on the environment. So that's the most important thing that we do. We look to innovate through natural materials. And make products that create great customer experiences. So we have wool that is incredibly soft and luxurious and premium because we choose only 17.5 micron width merino wool, which is 20% of the width of a human hair. And that creates a really soft, wonderful experience. It also thermoregulates. So it's not, it keeps you hot when it's cold and cold when it's hot, just like a sheep. So we, we chose that in particular to create a great experience, but we constrained ourselves to do something that was good for the environment. Now the souls for soul is takes into account what happens at the end of life of this product. So at the end of life of a product that you buy from all birds, if it goes into a landfill for some reason, the wool does biodegrade in a f- reasonable amount of time, usually about two years, but it is a protein based fiber. So it's, so it does take a bit of time, mm-hmm. which is a good thing because you wouldn't want that happening on your foot. However, if you choose to give it back to us, we will happily take it and we will give that to Souls for Soul. Mm-hmm. And those people will then, that, that organization will then reintroduce that into a new environment and give it a second life. We also accept returns. So it's kind of a used shoe, if you will. That, in that circumstance, Backed. it's a used shoe. Pardon? In that circumstance, it's a used shoe. Yes. And, and that's I,
0: how you redistributing it. Too. Some
1: of them. In so, other ways, we we, we, we give a 30-day, no questions asked, return policy. Yes. And we're, we're selling a lot of shoes on the internet, so we want to make sure that people are okay buying the shoes on the internet. And if they need to give it back, and if they've already worn them outside and they just didn't like the product... We're fine with that. You you have to be able to try our shoes, and we're happy, and we are convinced that most people will love it. Mm-hmm. But the people who don't love it, we'll send it back, and then we put those into a bin, and we don't resell those, of course, to a customer. But we give those to Souls for Soul, and those will be used again. And then, of course, there's the off-grade stuff that happens that are just defects in manufacturing mm-hmm. that we would never want to let out into commerce, and we would uh, we would then give that to to Souls for Soul as well. So there's a bunch of different ways we funnel shoes mm-hmm. to to that great organization. It's
0: cool that you've been able to find something? There's a direct line from the products you're doing. It's not always as easy. Um, we're currently in search of something that we can champion and we
1: kind of haven't well, landed we should, it yet. We should, uh, we should collaborate a little bit because we are looking all the time and not everything is great for shoes um, or other products that we're looking into making, but some are really wonderful and we're certainly more than happy to have share the wealth of information that we're collecting because our goal is to get it out there as mm-hmm. much as possible and we would like to also sell product that is derived from that material too but we're we're not coveting this information by any stretch
0: yeah and so
1: um,
0: i had asked what are the new shoes i mean do you are you going to make different versions of runners is that kind of like where you keep going you've just raised uh, and you've been so successful at that. It's super exciting. Well done. Thank you. Uh, bravo. Yeah. You know, cheer, cheer. Yeah. Like, thank so, you. so psyched for you. I mean, Thank it's, you. It's nice it's, I think to it's see the, more it, zeros in the bank account. Yeah. Well, it's not. <laughs> I don't think you associate um, big rounds or A-series with, um, you know, I guess you wouldn't say fashion companies, but a shoe company and a new product like that. And yeah. So I'm sure it's uh, a testament to the brains behind the brand. I don't know what else you'd say, but... Or, yeah, you know, maybe just dumb luck. I'm, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> no, yeah. but, um, but what are you planning to do? I mean, now you have a bit of fuel.
1: What's going to be ignited? Uh, yeah, so we, we do have a bit of fuel. So we, we, did, we, we just announced this month, actually, we raised seven, a little over $7 bucks of equity led by uh, a great group of people. So we introduced a new partner to our, to our company. This group is called Mavron. Um, and it was founded by a gentleman named Dan Levitan and Howard Schultz, who's the founder and CEO of Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Um, so they know a thing or two about brand and about building big businesses, which is, which is nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think what's, what's happened is we, you know, it looks like the shoe market is crowded when you look out on the street and particularly when you look at sneakers, there's a lot out there, but if you, if you categorize the number of sneakers that don't scream with an obnoxious logo and have tons of stitches and look pretty awful. It'd be fine if you were seen on a track with it, but the fact that you're traveling through airports in them is a little embarrassing, I think. Mm -hmm. That's the majority of sneakers, and there's a ton of sameness out there. And we we had this opportunity to make this amazing material out of merino wool, and that has allowed us to cut through the noise a little bit and give a differentiated experience to people. And and people have liked the message and liked the product. So we've been fortunate. We sold a bunch of shoes so far. And that helped convince a group like Mavron to give us $7 bucks. And so we now, while we've, of course, already been working on our new product development pipeline, um, we see a lot of opportunity with this material that we've already developed. It's a really proprietary material that we don't share exactly how we make it um, because it is pretty special, but we will have lots of opportunities to do different silhouettes and shoes mm-hmm. out of it. So you can think of some lower ones and some higher ones and some slightly different designs outside of the sneaker category per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are really actively developing new materials, both, both soft good, like textiles, as well as polymer systems, And we're looking to develop new materials, and we constrain that to be out of highly sustainable raw materials. Um, So we are looking to innovate around and almost curate the best of nature, make great products that create great experiences for you and me uh, and everyone listening, and and then look at taking those into other applications.
0: Mm -hmm. You have a lot of history. You're a bioengineer? Um, Yeah, so I was Yeah, yeah. So so you've done a lot of work with algae in a former uh, business, it sounds like, and also even designed a different way to uh, manufacture a surfboard. Yeah. So this is your your zone this that, is your sweet that's spot that's my zone that's my zone your, your my zone. is your thing yeah exactly like
1: I, I don't i don't do the design or the color choices even though i like the birds uh-huh. my partner tim is a design mastermind and a wonderful inspiration for um, you know just an intuitive brand marketer as well and where i come in and really i really hope i add value to the business is you know general organizational and business management but more than that the focus on raw material so my last my last role was at a company called Solazyme. And we engineered microalgae through biotechnology and fed that algae highly renewable sugar sources and in fermentation vessels that were about four stories tall. You can imagine it's pretty amazing. Where
0: is a facility like
1: that? At Brazil in the middle of sugarcane country. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So I did spend a little bit of time in the sugarcane fields in Brazil and we would, we would start with a (laughs) vial that was, you know, about an inch, an inch tall of microalgae and we'd start feeding it sugar first in small tanks and then all the way up into that four story tall fermenter and we had engineered the particular strain of algae to make a high performance type of chemical or other markets things like fuel and even things like food if you can imagine Mm -hmm. Um, i managed the chemicals business and so we would direct what type of strains of microalgae we would engineer into what end-use applications, so things like lubricants for industrial uses, soaps and surfactants for hand soaps and laundry detergents, Um, things like polyurethane building blocks, which if you then take that and derivatize it downstream, you can make a rigid polyurethane foam, which can be shaped into a surfboard and and so we did that and we made a pretty ripping surfboard uh in in collaboration with a couple people pro surfer named rob machado uh wrote it i believe in a competition i'm not exactly sure um are they still in production yeah they are actually they are to a new way to do it to a small degree it's Um. yeah it's a really unique i mean no one is making algae based um, polyurethane surfboards, (laughs) except uh, a a company called Arctic foam and in collaboration with UCSD and, and my, my old company, Solazine, which is rebranded as Terra via now. but they, uh, yeah, so they're still, they're still making boards. However, it didn't take off anywhere close to the degree that, um, that I would have expected. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me which was that people and companies are not marketing high-performance renewable materials in a smart way whatsoever. It made this very big and clear. realization. Way? Well, look, I mean, take this example. We had a, a high-performance rigid urethane foam, and the thing was great for surfboards. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot better than what you could do from a lot of other materials, both bio-based and petrochemically derived and highly sustainable. And it's in a marine environment with people who are generally environmentally Mm -hmm. conscious. They're surfers. They love sitting in the water, and they certainly don't want trash floating by. Mm -hmm. And there's not a company out there that grabs hold of that and markets the hell out of it and sells a ton of surfboards. Like that's pretty wild to me. Mm -hmm. Like that's just because the price point doesn't equal. It's a little bit. It was a little bit extra on price. A little bit extra, and the market was so sensitive to that price. And that's. It's just. I just think that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Because if you ask someone and you tell that story in the right way to buy a couple dollars more because it's a higher performing product and it Mm -hmm. gives value to them and also gives back to the surroundings that they're using the product in, they will buy it and they will pay a little bit more. I'm certain of it, particularly when the performance is higher. And that just opened my eyes to the opportunity that taking materials and, and putting them into applications where it creates a better experience, like we've done with shoes with wool is an opportunity that needs to be focused on in the world of business. And no one is doing it in shoes whatsoever. It's one of the worst environmental scorecard type of in- industries out there. And so we have just such a big opportunity to do it. So we, we decided that shoes, and that helped me get into you know transitioning from an engineer working in a biotech company and uh, managing a chemicals division to become a, a little cobbler. So, so that's <laughs> so, uh, so that that's why I think it's such a cool opportunity. I think that message. Do you ever,
0: do you ever think to yourself, um, "No, I actually do have shoes." You know, the cobbler has no shoes. But yes, you're like I, I do. I do, I do. I do actually have a actual lot of shoes. I do actually
1: have a lot of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, So,
0: the sole of the shoes—is there any way, or is it sustainable too? Is it
1: petra based uh, or? um, You know, are you working on that solution too? For sure. We're doing a ton of work in that area. And and our shoe is by no means perfect. And and, in like lots of ways, it's not perfect. But in from the environmental sustainability perspective, it's also not perfect. So we are we have an insole that is lined with our proprietary merino-based fabric and the cushioning that you feel underfoot is from a renewable polyurethane. Similar to the one we engineered at my previous company, but this one is actually derived from castor bean oil, which is a natural crop typically farmed in India. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then on the outsole, the, what you see kind of visibly from the outside on the bottom of the shoe, is a, it's a blend. It's another proprietary blend, and it has natural rubber from trees um, as well as some petro-derived materials like EVA. And that EVA gives you this ultra lightweight foam. It actually has a pretty good environmental scorecard on a relative basis to other materials like heavy um, butadiene rubber type of materials. However, it is, um, it is an area where we are actively pursuing improvements. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so on the travel, to, to uh, bend a little bit and find out a little bit more about you, uh, yeah. where do you like to travel? Or, uh, where do you, where's your go to spot that you or do you never go one one place twice?
1: Ah uh, no 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 I love going many places twice. My favorite place in the world is Kruger National Park. Yeah, um, and that's in South Africa. And that was uh, I was just there you were, uh, in
0: August. I was in a Angola, uh, which Angola
1: Angola or inside the park. A place it, was, it okay. opens to. Got it. The park. Got it. The place is, it's special. If I could go back there every single year. Do you drive yourself or do you take tours? Well, I've done both and I I like driving myself usually. I like feeling like an explorer. That's right. Hunting an animal for identification purposes only. <laughs> They're <laughs> um, going there to sketch them. Yeah, exactly. No, not quite that bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, look, I, I, I love travel. I, uh, for work, I go to Korea and I go to Italy. We make our, our textile in Milan um, um. and we make our shoes over in Korea and Busan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also took my wife and I went on our honeymoon to southern India I love going to South America as well. I like doing a little outdoor activity and um, hiking up mountains and whatnot. So mm. i yeah, I love travel. I, we go as much as possible. We are tied down uh, a little bit by way of having two small children of the mm. same age. How old are they? They're twins. They're two yeah. and a half. Which and you, you uh, two and a half. your struggle with with my name is is ironically relevant. But uh, it's filling of Zwillinger. Is a German word and it means twin, so I'm a twinner, so that's um, so it was my destiny, it but is. it is. T- they're, they're a handful.
0: No, I wasn't struggling with the zwollinger, I love it. And I just think <laughs> it's, a, it's um, it's equally as um, you know, brilliant as schlarb. I just, yeah. I love it. Yeah, when we were thinking about how it well, kind would... of sounds
1: like larb, which is my one of my favorite <laughs> Thai dishes, <laughs> yeah, duck larb. <laughs> should, should rebrand yourself. The duck larb.
0: It's not like Jeff Schlarb. Schlarb. <laughs> Uh So, okay, the two and a half year old twins. I mean, that's, um, you know, a whole. Uh, a whole new challenge they must be packaged in all kinds of sustainable products everywhere yeah.
1: they go <laughs> yeah well it was great we got merino sheets sent to us once i started this business people were like oh this guy loves was, merino now yeah. we got some really cool stuff from other companies Everything is that, soft yeah. merino it's, it's a funny <laughs> merino you know is also fire resistant and mm, one is of a, it is it is fire resistant it has a, a flashpoint that is extremely high uh-huh. so you know there's a there's really ridiculous legislation in California in particular, which is being changed by some great activist movements in this area, but there's brominated flame retardants that are put into both mattresses and pajamas for kids. And they're really bad. They're, they're, uh, They bioaccumulate. They do bad stuff to people. Um, But yet there is a couple companies that made those that lobbied pretty hard to get these chemicals mandated into products around kids Mm -hmm. so that they weren't catching fire uh, Mm -hmm. if something bad were to happen. Um, And you can get around it sometimes by making super tight pajamas. Or you can wear something made of Merino wool, and then you don't have this, uh, this issue of having brominated flame retardants in your kids whose cells are dividing really rapidly. Mm-hmm. So Merino turns out to be pretty amazing for that. Um, we don't think that too many of our customers walk on coals, but if they did, um, they, would, they would not light on fire like they would if they had polyester shoes on. So that's nice too. Um, but yeah, I do think about a little bit of that stuff for my kids. Uh, I also learned that you make wine. Yes. What type? <laughs> so, you had quite a quite a little. burn wi- whispering into your ear yeah, before we started this. I got we lots of this. information. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do my homework. So, look, I, I I like to make things, and yeah. and uh, why not oh, make them course. for business? And yeah, like I, my my garage is like my little my little uh, man cave, if you will. And I I do woodwork and I make wine, and mm. so we got we have we have a. French Bordeaux barrel inside of my basement, yeah, and that's about sixty gallons of wine that's aging right now. I believe last year was a Merlot that I have sitting there, so that'll make about three hundred bottles uh, per year from one barrel. That I that I tend not to try to do too much more than that, and split it up between a couple of friends uh-huh. um, because I shouldn't be drinking one bottle of wine per day, right? Generally, that's right. A, I, f- I feel like that's a reasonable I think the French bar say to set
0: one a
1: glass a day, but I think they actually have two. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So you get have half a barrel. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good. <It's> still fair. <laughs> okay, good. That makes <laughs> me feel better about myself. <laughs> uh, and you're here in the Bay Area? Yep. Yep. Um, we live up in Mill Valley and, and um, work down in Jackson Square. That's where the, the team is. Will all birds go
0: in, into more cities? Will we open up more offices? I mean, what's the... What's the next
1: five years look like for you guys? Uh it's a great question. So we have so right now we sell in two markets, just the United States and New Zealand, and we've mm-hmm. we've been having a hard time keeping up with our demand inside just those two oh, markets shame. alone. I know it's a really bad problem. Oh my problem. gosh. <laughs> you <hear this>? So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so it's a first-class problem. I faster. faster. I didn't mean to do that. Do, <laughs> no, no, do no, so no. much of a humble brag, but it, <laughs> but you know it is a problem after a little bit. So we're trying to keep up with that, and when we get ahead of when we when we resolve that um, that first-class problem, we do expect that we want to take this thing um, in other markets easily to Canada, and we hope we can give our Canadian friends. Uh, a foot wrapping in luxurious okay. wool sometime yeah. very soon. Um, and then and then beyond that, we have oh. lots of plans to expand. And I think we absolutely should do that. Where our offices are going to be located and where our people are, it's it's interesting. So we've just had a pop-up store in Shinola inside of Jackson Square. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that, is that was near
0: a, your office?
1: Near our office, so it was kind of convenient. So you only have the pop-up store? Everything else is online? Everything else is online. I'm
0: actually going to ask yeah. this question, too, because... It it seems like it is a challenge if you know you can't keep up with production and sales are so strong. Is that you know how do you solve that? You know materials management is such a big job.
1: So I I offered uh, for anyone listening I offered Jeff a free pair of shoes and he declined. I said I'll buy them. He tried to buy them, but he found he found out that when he went onto the website that he had to place the order on back order. And you know what happened? He didn't buy the shoe on back order and he went away. So. I will say right there is a great example of why it actually is a problem that uh-huh. we're not able to keep up with this demand because we may have lost you as a customer forever. Mm-hmm. No, I hope not. No, I hope not. That was a cue for I'm you. I'm a layup. Okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so we, we do need to keep up with that. and It is a problem because you know, we're creating a bad experience for people who come to our site and can't buy the product that they want. So we don't want that to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, can't imagine
0: is there there are worse problems to have yes. but it is certainly you know something you have to navigate
1: you know what kind of uh, do you do that uh, forecasting and do yeah I mean it's really really hard for us so this is this this is and it'll it'll allow me to kind of answer your last question of where we're we'll be set up physically mm-hmm. with people in the future as well so what we're um, it's really hard so usually in footwear, a footwear a normal footwear company <clears throat> We'll sell to Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom's, and whoever else. Mm-hmm. And those, those companies, those retailers have buyers. And they come to a big show in Las Vegas twice a year. And they look at what the shoe companies make. And they're like, I'm going to have 10,000 of those. Are you going to those shows? Absolutely not. Okay. And so we don't interact with those yes, buyers. Different. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it's, it's great, though, because we don't sell through those retailers mm-hmm. who generally drop the price and then train customers to go buy on sale. And whatnot. So we don't have They're that They're also tough problem. negotiators, and it doesn't sound like it's that And they take more deliver. than half of your margin or more than half yeah. of the price of the shoe as their margin. So there's lots of problems with that. But the benefit of talking to those buyers is that you know exactly how many to make. Because they tell you you're going to make 10000 so you, maybe you make 12000 and you know you hope for the best that your salespeople can do better. So what we do is we simply go out to the market from our e-commerce platform, and we hope we guess right. And sometimes we guess really wrong. And sometimes we guess only slightly wrong Mm -hmm. and we never guess right. And so the problem is, you know, we have to have tons of analytics to forecast what you do. So how do you do that? So we do want to have physical retail experience that we engage with customers every single day. We understand what works for them. We can then help our forecast and see which products are going to be a hit. So we have a retail lab that we're designing and and should be online by the end of the year inside of our office Mm -hmm. where customers can come and see sneak peeks of what's coming and we'll take that feedback and hopefully use that to put into our forecasting model and make better manufacturing decisions. So we kind of have a thoughtful plan around this. Whether it will work or not, we will see. That's the approach of of having a little bit of a retail lab in our store to use that for better information from customers. And then we do expect to make brick-and-mortar stores in the future um, that we own physically um, or maybe we lease the space, but we own the the experience with those customers so that we continue to learn about what that tactile experience is like, how people are perceiving the product, what they think about the colors, etc. Like the Restoration Hardware went from having lots of
0: small stores to just bigger stores and fewer of them. Um, do you look at it like, you know, maybe five stores or, or 10 stores, major cities? And that's kind of...
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we're still it's way too early for me to be pointing to specifically. Yeah. I can tell you oh, the, the way we're, we're just thinking about it. Well, let's dream. Yeah, let's dream. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we, we dream of having... I mean, there's so many big metropolitan areas where our message resonates with people. And we found that just through our e-commerce site. So, I mean, we're selling in every single state many, many shoes. Mm-hmm. Every every one of our 50 states. And I believe every Colorado single... must be huge. Colorado's big. Um, Massachusetts <laughs> is big. <laughs> huh, what? California's big. Yeah. New York is big. Florida's big. And Texas is really big. Uh-huh. And maybe you wouldn't expect that, but Texas is big. Yeah. And they like a good shoe. Hey, they do love a good shoe. Hey, how they? long does a
0: shoe last? Not, not your shoe, but more most tennis shoes, are, or you, Most in, tennis lumped. shoes are
1: made for a year. A year. Yeah, yeah. and people so will use them. Well that. That's a repeat customer. That's yeah. Know,
0: you that's pretty cool. Yeah, and ours are ours are, our,
1: ours should last equal to longer than most other sneakers. Mm-hmm. What's um,
0: you know the most frustrating shoes I think I've had is. Uh, they looked really cool but then they just kind of the whole structure of it crushed after about <laughs> a day wearing them
1: yeah well you know that's funny because we we have so we have such an unstructured and a deconstructed shoe that yeah. ours is it almost feels like a slipper in some respect so if you're if you're like buying an all bird shoe and expecting it to maintain this like perfect statue like form Mm -hmm. you're going to be disappointed and we try to educate people who are buying like we're we're making something extremely close to a cashmere sweater for your foot Mm -hmm. and i mean the 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 material that we're using is literally the same exact fiber used in a brioni suit sold for seven thousand dollars So, you know, we're creating a completely different experience than what you get on like a, on on a normal sneaker made with polyester and hot melt adhesives and all this stuff to make it rigid and Mm -hmm. make it look beautiful on a shelf of a retailer. We don't have those constraints and we want to create a wonderful feel experience that still keeps its shape on your foot phenomenally well, but it might, you know, pack up in a suitcase pretty tightly because it's a great travel shoe too. Mm -hmm. And it won't keep its shape necessarily like a pristine statue of David in your, in your suitcase. Mm. You could use a shoehorn if you wanted. Uh, yeah. Um, so or shoe tree. Sorry, the,
0: shoe tree. Shoe, shoe tree, tree. Yeah. Um, you will you ever do like a, a more formal shoe?
1: Is that kind of crazy? Oh boy. You know we most leathers are processed with chemicals that we would never want to touch. So it's it's not not true for all leather. You can do some vegetable tanning and you can do vegetable oil tanning and you can do a lot of other um, decent things with leather. I don't see us really going towards the leather and or luxury fashion end of the market, nor do I see us playing significantly in the high performance end of the market. It's that in-between market, which is the the vast majority of the market, which is casual get around every day type of a shoe and different, different form factors for doing that for different use cases. Um, but there's such a great and big market opportunity. I mean, just a couple fun facts here. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you. How many mm-hmm. shoes do you think the average American buys per year? Um, eight. You're the best guesser I've ever asked that question. To. Really? Yeah. That is amazing.
0: Do I get my free pair of shoes? Yeah, you could actually, <laughs> you already turned <laughs> no, it down. Just, <laughs> I don't I'll have buy. anything more it. to offer you. So it's,
1: yeah. about, seven, <laughs> a, it's a, about seven and a half pairs. Really? Almost everybody guesses something Julie like three. yes, noted. But guess, guesser. Yeah, go go to guesser. the so, casinos. So, that's, so 325 million people in America are buying seven and a half pairs of shoes, which gives you about two and a half billion pairs of shoes sold and used annually mm-hmm. in the United States alone, which is not a big percentage of the global market. There are lots mm-hmm. of bigger markets out there. So if you If you think about that number and you think about carving up the market between people who are using it for high high performance and people who are using it for, you know, luxury catwalk style, that's a smaller percentage than you would expect. and and the category of casual shoes in the middle of that space is really consolidated with only a few oh. players in there. It's a lot of the same stuff being pumped out, and there's not much thought whatsoever put into the environmental impact of the materials that are being used. There must be the sweet spot. You know, the, that's our sweet spot.
0: I mean, the sweet spot of like most shoes sold. There's in that casual category or something, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh,
0: I mean, it's be the biggest marketplace. It's it's
1: wild though, but people don't, people don't think about this because it's, it's obscured by the companies who make them. But if you look at the boat shoe market there, there's two big companies out there. There's Sperry's and Sebago and they are owned by the same company and they Uh. make the shoes in the same factory. So it's really just dolling it up and dolling it down a little bit. But you're yeah. getting the same shoe. And and that's true for a lot of different markets in footwear and when you start breaking it up by category. So there's a, there's a pretty interesting opportunity to do something slightly different and stand out quite significantly.
0: Mm, yeah, well, you're, what you're doing, which is which leading trying. to your success and, you know we're trying you're crushing
1: it. <laughs> but you mentioned
0: that your watch is made in the same showroom that you're in on jackson square yeah it's made in, in detroit correct uh, that's great right jobs in detroit any anything that you see in the future of maybe alberts or anybody else in the whole country like bringing some of the manufacturing back is that yeah is it even possible
1: talk it, to me it's Goose. um yeah it's Do like, so that, we talk. No, we to love you, that, and we share. Like I think we share a lot of the same ethos with what Shino. Yeah, love it. <laughs> okay, I'll, so. I'll give you the high five. No one can see it. <laughs> um, shoes are incredibly complex, and I had no idea before getting into this business how complex it truly was. But there, you know, there's a, I, I kind of tried to calculate this statistic, but when every single shoe that we that we use and we make is touched by the hands of about more than 5,000 years of experience working in footwear. Mm -hmm. And so there's a number of hands that touch it, and there's a number of years that those people have worked in there. And that 5,000 years of experience touching every single one of our shoes that we make means that we have incredibly high quality of our shoes, But it also means it's really difficult to find that experience and replicate that in a region that doesn't make shoes. And almost no shoes are made in America. And so it's really difficult to make a shoe of the quality that we're looking to make in this country at this point in time. And, you know, there's some things that we can do from a robotics perspective that we might look to in the future to bring bring manufacturing here. But it it doesn't look like the future of footwear manufacturing is going to be done in America. And that's um, particularly from a people-heavy perspective. So it's not um, it's not one of those industries. It's you know it's nice to say and it sounds politically awesome for uh, someone to to talk about bringing jobs to America. But in footwear, it's just really it's a it's a different beast. Sure.
0: Did you say you were in Italy for the raw material? Yes. And then where's the, it? Made, Korea? Did you, did you say? Yep south korea um, and that's why you
1: go to italy and and you know they must have all their experience all those hands. korea is where the most innovation and in footwear occurs and they've you know there's a lot of manufacturing that happens in places like vietnam and indonesia and india but a lot of the owners of those factories are taiwanese and korean and that was it's kind of a really a birthplace for um industrial high quality manufacturing of footwear and so we're getting the best of this experience that's why we chose to go to korea we're getting, like, really the heart of the expertise in the footwear world.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: how is it on Jackson Square? I love that street. I love that It's area. awesome. I mean, we, we I couldn't be happier. We have uh, this... A pretty nice building where Mark Twain used to write and pen his notes about cold cold San Francisco summers. Yeah. And it was on the old Barbary Coast. Yeah, And it, it was then filled in. So now we're a number of blocks back off of the Embarcadera. But mm-hmm. we were on the actual coast where the harbor was back in the Gold Rush days. Um, How many more blocks was...
0: does it go? We were talking about that two nights ago yeah. at dinner. I used to work down by the Transamerica building I think that's where you said right your next course. to us yeah yeah and they unearthed a boat in yeah. 2002 or something like that yeah.
1: 2001 they were tearing down building building it up a boat they found it's crazy I mean we we have pictures that were and paintings that were drawn of our of our building um from a uh, we had a little bit of a history of our building done and and that was and and I think that was in the mid 1800s but then so we're on we're on Hodling Alley, which is basically Sansom, and then there's about four is more blocks. Aventine? Then you hit water. Is yeah, it? Aventine's on our corner.
0: Okay, exactly. So
1: you're on the other, you're on Jackson and Aventine. Uh, yeah, and right in between. Aventine's on Hodling, right next to us, three doors down from our office, which is this beautiful brick and timber building. So you're
0: in the Hodling uh, on yeah, the alley.
1: We're on the alley. Yeah, that's cool. Now I know exactly. Yeah, where it's you're awesome. We, we we love it. We have a we have a team, a growing team. We'll be about 25 people in the building um, in our headquarters. By the end of 2016, and um, we are going to continue to grow. So if that's anyone's s- out there is is looking for looking for work, we're looking for good people. Shout out to good and people. We're having, a, we're having a yeah, we're having a fun time. <laughs> but that is an amazing world headquarters. It's pretty good. We that's feel that's a great spot. Yeah, we feel we feel pretty lucky. And yeah. we're we as I said, we will have a little bit of retail in there, so we'll get to interact with customers every single day, which is something I feel you said really you have,
0: strongly about. Like a design lab or something. Somewhere in that spot, yeah, it's, what does that it look
1: like a, a white coat you th- being It's worn? like it, so basically it's this three thousand square foot dungeon and it's got one door in and one door out, and it's the same door, and you can't believe yeah exactly, I hope I didn't just say like a fire code violation or something on, on the show, but, we, so we just try to stuff the designers down there, yeah. <laughs> no, we, have, so down there, we, we, when we I'm doing it for you, I ten, love we you. Ten, we tend, yeah, it for you. exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's for your secrecy. It's not for, it's not for, cause we don't, yeah, we think they smell too, but yeah, yeah. Um, we like to keep things a little bit secret before they're totally ready to go and get some feedback on it. And that's a nice little dungeon to keep our secrets.
0: Maybe you could tell us a little secret before
1: you leave. Yeah. You know, we won't love share it to. with
0: anybody. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to tell you one of our secrets. Well, I can I can tell you that uh, our next bird is the Qatari bird, and you if you if you go and look at the Qatari bird and study it for its most beautiful feathers, you might have a sneak peek on what our next color palette will be. I'm a googling it right now. I also reveal another secret, which is that we will have our retail store opening in. Uh, in uh December of this year. So we would love to have local San Franciscans listen in uh to visit us there. Cool. And and maybe a final secret? Yeah. I have two colors of hair and that is naturally derived at birth. How's that? Mind blowing. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. That was a stretch. So.
0: Yeah, no. Not ever nobody has that, do they? Two colors of hair.
1: No, not usually.
0: Yeah well brilliant thanks for sitting down with us thanks for having us fantastic I, really a, enjoyed it such an awesome time um having conversations with top minds i mean you you're really a uh, an expert at what you're up to so uh, i learned more than uh you did <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you so thank you thank you for having us. great